afternoon, everyone. I just want to make sure that I've got the correct gallery view going. Um, I can see the participants climbing. I hope everyone is settling in this afternoon. It's a beautiful spring day here in Pretoria, and it's the perfect afternoon to host our 14th webinar. Um, I've been thinking over the past couple of weeks, if I don't do a webinar on a Thursday afternoon, my week just doesn't feel complete without it. Um, I hope everyone is settling in. I see it's climbing nicely, and I do hope not too many people are actually affected by load shedding today. But um, I trust everyone had a, a superb long weekend. It was Women's, Women's Month, is August, but also Women's Day. And um, whether you were working in the garden, whether you were working in your practice or in a hospital, I just hope you didn't work on anyone's nerves. Um, I had the privilege of spending Women's Day with both my mum and my aunt. It's my mother's sister. They are about 82, 84, around there, and we had a lovely lunch together. And it was such a, a blessing that I could still spend a day like Women's Day with these two superb women who has meant so much for me personally in my life. I hope you had the same pleasure. Um, so I don't know exactly how many women are joining us today in the webinar, but I can tell you that we've got an incredible number of about 850 people that registered today. We've got 19 disciplines. There were two new disciplines that joined us again, so that's fantastic having everyone here. We've got close to 300 psychologists. We've got 130 physiotherapists, nearly 100 occupational therapists, 50 bios. There's about 70 speech therapists and audiologists. We've got 30 dietitians. 38 registered counselors, there's about 20, 25 podiatrists and medical orthotists, prosthetists, social workers and chiropractors are around 20. We've got 34 optometrists, there's six doctors, and I notice quite a few psychometrists and registered nurses as well. So a warm welcome to each and every one of you. While everyone is settling in this afternoon, um, you all know we've got a very topical subject to discuss, but and we're going to try and get through as many um, questions and all the information as possible. And should you have a burning question, please do make use of the question and answer functionality as well as the chat functionality. I'll try and keep an eye on it. If I glance to the left here, it's just because I've got a second screen. Um, and we will try and get to as many of those questions as we possibly can. Um, I will be introducing our guest speaker in just a moment. But as you know, my name is Lani Ace. I'm a product manager with the SpaceNet Global Group, who again is kindly sponsoring this afternoon's webinar with the support of Medici and EasyMed. Um, should you be interested in viewing or listening to any of our previous um, webinars, they are all available either on our website, SpaceNet, um, it's the EasyMed.Solutions website. You can actually see that on your screens. There's also a YouTube channel, We've got a podcast channel going and it's available on Spotify. I'm just going to try and copy from my Word document the links to all of these. Um, copy and I'm going to put it in the chat functionality so that everyone can hopefully see it there. I hope it is actually reaching you. Um, so do make use of any of those channels. Um, I can see we are still steadily climbing, but I do want to introduce our guest speaker this afternoon. And I've got the pleasure of welcoming Esme Prince van den Berg to our webinar to discuss the, the implications of the Poppy Act on you, the healthcare professional, your practice, and your patients. Now, Esme is a qualified attorney who specialises in health law, which includes the Poppy Act as well as the Consumer Protection Act. 
Um, she also specializes in corporate governance, health policy, and health industry matters. Esme completed her master's degree in constitutional law and human rights, and she's worked for the South African Medical Association, SAMA, um, where she, amongst others, headed up the health policy unit and the private practice units. Um, now, Esme also worked at the board of healthcare executive, and she's been offering healthcare consulting and training services through her own consulting business, which is called Healthcare Navigator, since 2002, to the whole healthcare industry at large, both in South Africa and abroad. So Esme, a warm welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on Thursday afternoon with our webinar. And thank you for, for sharing your knowledge with us around the Poppy Act or the Pr Protection of Personal Information Act. Thank you, Lania, and good afternoon to everyone, ladies and gentlemen. It's certainly a privilege to be here. Not an easy subject, uh, I'm sure, but let's try and um, make it as easy as possible for you. Excellent, thank you. Um, attendees, just a, a quick disclaimer from our side. Esme did ask me to just remind you that this webinar doesn't um, substitute any legal advice and that we are purely having a conversation and the, it, it's an interpretation of the subject that we will be discussing. You have to keep in mind that one practice will differ from another practice and so will their specific needs and requirements. And it's completely impossible for, to, for, for, for us to, to completely tick all the boxes and discuss every single piece of detail. So do just keep that in mind. But I want to start turning because I see the numbers are quite high. We, we're close to 600 already and the time's getting on. I, I want to turn to, to Poppy. And it's something that we've heard in the news over and over recently. And it's this phrase that the Poppy Act has been promulgated. Esme, what does it mean? What does promulgated mean? And, and when did this start? When did this happen? Lani, let me try and explain in simple terms actually where we are at the moment, because the legal terms or a legal word like promulgate, people use it in different contexts. But what we actually have is the Act has been published or even promulgated way back in 2013 but only certain sections or certain provisions have been implemented. But from the 1st of July this year, essentially the entire act is law. There are a few provisions outstanding that will be implemented uh, end of June next year, but for all intents and purposes, for all practitioners from, from your perspective this afternoon, all the provisions that you must comply with are essentially now implemented and effective. So that's what we're actually talking about. Okie dokes, I think that's very clear. Thank you for that. Just remind me of the date again, was at the end of? So 1st of July this year, 2020, everything okay. now implemented, it becomes enforceable next year on the 1st of July. So we actually have 12 months now, and maybe we can talk a little bit later about that this afternoon. But as of next year, 1 July, the regulator, the information regulator can actually start looking at people who aren't compliant, they can impose fines, they can take action. Okay. So 12 months, but from 1 July next year. But does that mean that practitioners need to start complying now or only on the 1st of July, 2021? Okay. So first of all, they've got this grace period or this transitional phase, okay. but let me take one step back. At the moment, we already have something like the right to privacy in the constitution. So privacy is actually already protected. So we must comply with that and we must respect it. Now what Poppy does, it gives us a little bit more details 
but it also raises the bar in terms of what you may and may not do. As we unpack this law this afternoon, I think everybody will realize there is so much that needs to be done that you actually can't wait. So the sooner you start implementing this and so that it becomes part of your practice and your way of thinking and doing things, the easier it's going to become ultimately. Okay, all right. There's, something just came to mind and it's two abbreviations. You get the Poppy Act, but then there's the PIA, P-A-I-A, which is the promotion of access to information. Perhaps you can just touch on what the difference is between these two. Okay, so let me start by saying again, in the constitution, we have a right to privacy, but we also have a right to have access to information. Those are two different rights. And in fact, they can be actually a bit conflicting to a certain degree, but let's not go into too many details there. But essentially, PIA tells us what the right to have access to information means. It, mean, it tells us how do we get access to information, um, what must we do to provide access, when may we refuse access. Poppy, on the other hand, is going to tell us what is the right to privacy? How do we protect and respect other people and organizations' privacy? Because now under Poppy, even an organization, even a practice, can be protected under privy, under, under, pop, under Poppy. They also have personal information. Sure, oh, very interesting. Okay, I can see where you come from that they might be contradicting a little bit. <laughs> um, now, with regards to Poppy, Esme, is anyone exempted or does this literally, is it across the board, everyone have to comply with Poppy Act? Okay, so there, there are a limited number of exemptions. And if I give you an example, it's for example, cabinet uh, um, within our government, not the entire public sector. Uh, national security. Also what happens in your home. So what's happening in a household is not subject to poppy and that obviously makes a lot of sense. For the rest, if you look at private sector, private sector businesses, there's no exemption. So it applies to everybody equally. It doesn't matter the size of your business. If you're a one-man show in your business, it applies to you. If you're a big company, it applies to you. Um, you cannot, well, you can go to the regulator to ask for an exemption for a particular type of processing, but the grounds on which you can do it is very, very narrow. So you can't actually, the regulator won't easily give you an exemption. Um, that will be your last stop, your last port of call. So essentially, practitioners must accept, they must comply to the fullest extent with the law. Okay, all right. But there is a way of applying if, if you feel the need and you feel you, you actually adhere to whatever the regulations will be. There is, there is, a, there is a, a process or there is a section in the Act. And as I say, the grounds are very narrow. So um, one shouldn't expect that you can just go and apply. They're, they're specific. For example, that it must be so important for you to do a certain kind of processing that it's actually more important, for example, to, than a patient's right to privacy. So you can see it's a very high barrier to overcome. So I don't think the regulator is going to be easily kind of giving these kinds of exemptions. And we must also accept that everybody in South Africa, public and private sector, are subject to the act and the regulator is responsible. So you can imagine 
they are not going to accept millions of applications for exemption. No, so the point departure is we have to comply. Okay, I can well imagine that. So if I, if I may use a, a carrot and stick scenario, the stick being we know we have to comply to the Poppy Act because the law says so, and there will be consequences if we don't. But what's the carrot in this scenario? Why Poppy Act? What's the purpose and the objective of the Poppy Act? Yeah, the, the, I think the carrot at the moment, if you have to comply, one doesn't easily see the carrot, but um, let's just talk a little bit about what's happening. This is a global phenomenon, and we've seen so many abuses of personal information. Um, I think if I were to ask the audience today, how many of you have been contacted just in this week by somebody phoning you, you don't know where they got your, your telephone number from and they're wanting to sell something to you. So a lot of these things happen and they are really um, abuse of our information happening. So, and with the increased connectivity as well, a lot of data breaches and serious breaches. And what we've seen is that information, especially health information and financial information, are very valuable and it's worth a lot of money. So people would get this information or steal it and they use it to perpetrate identity fraud or they would hold your information to ransom to try and get some money out of you. So um, it's just become so serious. So I think the carrot is also to say, what do you expect other people? How should they treat your information? And if, you, if you've got a certain expectation, other people have a similar expectation and we need to take it seriously. We must accept that information is valuable, it's sensitive, and hence it needs to be treated with respect. Sure, sure. So you mentioned this is a, a global trend. Is, is Poppy specific to South Africa, but other countries have got something similar or similar acts in place? Absolutely, and it's growing by the day. Um, our law is very much positioned um, and based on the law that's applicable in the European Union. But interestingly enough, our law is actually broader than the European Union's legislation. But all the well, most of the countries, even in Africa, it's you'll be surprised to see how many African countries are now kind of using the same type of legislation like the European Union because it's going to become an important part of doing business. And you know, with information flows across countries, it's going to be critical, and maybe we'll touch on it later, that in future, if you send information to a third party in another country, if there's not adequate protection of that information, you can actually transgress poppies. So it's definitely, um, yeah, there's an increase in terms of the rollout of this type of legislation. All right. So Esma, you keep mentioning data, and I'm sure there's different types of data. What types of information are we actually talking here about? Yeah, personal information. Our law talks about personal information. The European Union talks about data. So it, let's use the term personal information. So personal information is any information about a human being. <clears throat> Excuse me. The law actually talks about living natural persons and then also existing heuristic persons, like a company, like Spacenet, like a practice, they also have 
protection under poppy and it's everything essentially everything the name of a person could be protected not always it depends on the context but otherwise anything like contact details employee information health information race information even an opinion if a patient has an opinion that is the patient's information so or if you have an opinion about a patient it's actually the patient's personal information so it's everything and and for compliance with poppy i would like to suggest that a practitioner should regard all information in the practice as personal information that is the safest uh, they can actually they meaning the regulator the courts uh, the enforcement agencies can actually broaden the categories. They can actually add to the categories that we have in the law. Hence, it's the safest. It's, we say all the information we deal with, which relates to an identifiable person or entity, mm -hmm. um, actually personal information. So in the health sector, obviously, there's a lot of coding that comes to play, including your ICD-10 coding and your procedure coding. Is that type of information, that coding, does that constitute part of personal information? Yeah, obviously, in its, on its own, um, it's not personal information. But as soon as you link it to a patient, it's personal information. Yeah. Because then you actually code what you've done, how you treated the patient, or what is wrong with the patient, the diagnosis. Yes, then it's absolutely personal information. Okay. Ismail, there's an interesting question that came up, and I'm just going to read it from my screen next to me. A psychologist need to report, for instance, if a patient is a danger to him or herself or to others, or is an abuser. What is the implication for Poppy here? Okay, so remember, Poppy doesn't take everything away that we've been used to. So certain things we have to disclose because there's other legislation or we have to report. Oh. And when you start reporting and disclosing, we also immediately within the PIA sphere in terms of disclosing information, certain people like government agencies or other people have a right to information if there's a public interest or there's a statutory obligation. Mm -hmm. So not going to do away with it. Okay, so there's certain aspects will absolutely still be in place. And if you should be reporting something also from a legal framework, that can definitely still be done. Okay, yes. brilliant. Um, I might come to one of the other questions in, in just a second. When, when we had a conversation earlier this week, you referenced the term data subjects. Perhaps you can just expand a little bit because that is something that you can actually read about when you go online searching around the Poppy Act. Yeah, so what we, if we talk about a data subject, that is the person or the entity whose personal information is protected under Poppy. And data subjects have a lot of rights, but let's just first think of who could be the data subjects in a practice setting. Mm -hmm. So the patients definitely. So anybody mm -hmm. or any entity that you have information about. So if you have, for example, you record next of kin, a family member's um, information on your patient form, that becomes a data subject. Any practitioner referring patients to you, that referring practitioner is a data subject. If you refer to another practitioner, that's a data subject. Your staff members, we often forget, we just think patient, patient, but your staff is a data subject. Um, if you outsource, for example, your invoicing to another entity, 
that is a data subject. A funder, a medical scheme, you send an invoice is a data subject. So it's, it's exceptionally broad. And just don't forget the practitioner himself or herself and the practice are also data subjects. So other people must also be careful how they, they use the practice and the practitioner's information. Oh my goodness. You were talking about practitioners and practices. And this just makes me think of a scenario a while ago, I had to go and see a, a, a GP. And there were two or three receptionists or practice managers working at reception at the front desk. And they were talking about patients. Now, no names were mentioned. But if you were listening hard enough, and you were starting to put two and two together, you could potentially figure out who that patient was. I mean, surely something like that should have been stopped already, but going on in the future now, that's going to become extremely important to actually just note what you say in, in a practice scenario. Extreme, extremely serious. I actually want to do this. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's already actually a no-no, but under Poppy, because the downside, and we'll come to the downside a bit later, the, the risks under Poppy are extreme. So now you have to implement different processes oh. in in, in the practice and and it might be difficult in terms of your practice setup you might have a, a small practice it's difficult you may have only one receptionist and you know they discuss patient information but you need to look at ways of how to do it so that other people don't get access to that information which shouldn't have access to yeah. um, think about a file you know that patient file should be protected it shouldn't lie around or be accessible that somebody yeah. could just open a file at the reception so we will need to think about these things a lot more um, intensely going forward I'm, I'm absolutely picturing those yellow manila envelopes with clinical notes in them and it's just lying there on the reception desk and I mean if you're standing there saying oh hi I'm here for my 2.30 appointment with so and so and the receptionist turn around facing her computer or his computer, you can easily read upside down whose file that is, where they live, which medical aid are they on, et cetera, et cetera. So I think we all need to be extremely careful in the way that we position everything in our practices going forward. Um, so where do we start? What, what do we need to do? Because it sounds like we're running out of time, A, eh? but I also don't think a lot of people know how to tackle this. Yeah, I think one, one should start, take simple steps. So the first thing is, I think a practice needs to understand what is happening with personal information in their practice. For example, what type of information do they have? Where do they get it from? That's important under Poppy. You can't just take information from, ever you, where, from oh. wherever you want to. So where do you get that from? With whom do you share it? How long do you keep that information? Um, what, is, what are your security practices? Who handle personal information on behalf of the practice, in the practice and also outside? So I think the first starting point is to actually understand what is happening to information in your practice. Then you need to start looking at other things. There's a lot of disclosure requirements under Poppy, interestingly enough, but disclosure to the data subject. So the, one of the key principles or fundamentals of Poppy is, is that the data subject needs to know. The data subject, let's call the data subject the patient for now, but remember it's broader. The patient needs to know you've got information about them. What do you do with that? 
why do you have it? How long do you store it? To whom will you disclose it? Um, and the patient can come and ask to actually for a copy of their records, your patient notes. So you even have to be very careful with that. So it's a whole issue around transparency in respect of the data subject. So they need to know you are dealing with sensitivity, you, you're taking their confidentiality seriously. So having said that and bearing that in mind, it means you need to look at your patient documentation. You need to enhance it to give certain disclosures in that documentation. You may need to change processes, for example, in terms of how your receptionist deals with patient and patient information. You may need to have certain policies in place. Mm -hmm. For example, you might have heard about a privacy policy. Now, a privacy policy is to tell people how you deal with the information and what do you do with that. And also a record keeping policy because a patient can come and ask you to destroy their file. Now, if you don't know how long you must keep or may keep that file for, how will you ever respond to that information? So that you need to do. The Act also requires you, we call it a PIA manual, but you can also call it an information manual. Many practices or most practices actually pre at present have exemptions. They don't have to have PIA manuals, but a PIA manual is going to become a necessity. In fact, if you don't have a biomanual, there can actually even be criminal liability for the head of the practice. So you have to put a biomanual in place. You need to look at your security. And if I talk about security, it's not only your system. It's not only you can hack your system or your website. It's your organizational, your practice security, your staff security in terms of how they deal with information. And you need to actually destroy information that you may no longer keep, that you don't need at all for no lawful purpose. So you need to be careful with that. Um, I think what is very important is also to train staff, awareness of staff. They must, there must be confidentiality undertakings. It must be in their employment agreements or they must undertake that. And if there is a breach, you must actually discipline them because what is the downside again? If there's a security breach under Poppy, you have to report that breach, not only, let's say, the patient, the data subject, but you must also report it to the information regulator. So you actually have to go and tell a regulator that your security is not up to scratch or yeah. that you lost information or a third party got access to information unlawfully and you don't want to go there because you open yourself up for an investigation and a penalty. So there must be staff training. Sure. And then last but not least is, every practice must now have an information officer. Now That's for a small, you might, you might get scared and say, but how can we actually do that? You don't have to appoint another person. So if you don't appoint another person, if you're a, a practice owner in your own name, you are by default the information officer. If it is a partnership, one of the partners must become, will become the information officer. And that person must be registered with the regulator because the regulator wants to know 
whom I can contact, who is the party that must help me with investigations and complaints. So the process is, they are busy mapping the process of how you must register. There is a draft document, so hopefully within the next month or two, we'll have the final registration process. But before Poppy becomes enforceable next year, you have to register your information officer. So just with regards to the information officer, just to recap, it can be someone in your practice. It does not, it can even be you as a sole practitioner. It does not have to be an external person. Absolutely not. And if you don't, if you don't appoint somebody or if you don't designate somebody in your practice, it's by default the head of the practice um, okay. or a partner or, or the managing director. Um, but yes, you can designate somebody to do it for the practice. But that person at the end of the day, once more information is received, still needs to register. And we're waiting for that information on how to register. Absolutely, yes. Okay, all right. So an interesting question came up. Um, picture a healthcare practice scenario. There's a practice manager sitting in the front desk. The telephone rings and there's a patient on the other side of the line. And they want to change an appointment time, for example, or update medical scheme details, or let's say a physical address. And the receptionist have to take that, but also verbalize it back to the patient. Surely someone in the reception area can overhear that person on the telephone call? Should they be sitting behind closed doors or? No, it, you know, it, this is, I think the, the biggest challenge for a practice going forward, especially a small practice with one or two staff members, because how do you split it and to make sure that it's confidential? Yeah. And I think it will depend on from practice to practice, but one must be very careful. You will have to maybe try and have some, yeah, even, even a space between where the patients sit and your reception desk is not necessarily going to help. You'll have to find a mechanism of updating that or even phoning the patient back or ask him to send you an email or something to that effect. You know, I'm just thinking aloud. There could yeah, be other sure. solutions, but but yes, one must be very careful with that. My goodness, I think all these um, see-through plastic screens that we're using for COVID these days are need to be to become soundproof as well to try and block some of the information being shared. <laughs> but is there another practical question? Um, we're in a healthcare practice, for example, practitioner A needs to refer a patient to practitioner B outside of that environment. And I mean, usually you would write these, these, these things down and give it in a note or an email or even a phone call. Is that still allowed? Because obviously you're sharing a lot of personal information. Yes, definitely. So I think if you, certainly if you refer a patient, you will discuss that and have the buy-in of the patient. So essentially you will get a consent. consent. Or okay. if you refer a letter to the patient and you ask the patient to go to the, the other practitioner, then obviously the patient agrees, I am going to go. So we have a scent issue here, um, which is important, and that's not taken away whatsoever. I think what is important also to remember that if you, for example, send the referral email, a referral letter by email to the other practitioner, the patient is entitled to have a copy of that letter. So they can now ask for a copy of that um, and they're very narrow grounds, again, when you can refuse uh, within the prior law. Generally, the, the answer is you will have to give it to the patient or even the referring practitioner. So one must be careful what you say. And, and what I want to say is not to 
hide information, but be careful with subjective information. Mm. Rather than objective information like investigation results or um, just be careful how you phrase it. Say mm. what you in your patient notes. Because a patient can, as I've mentioned earlier, come and ask you, give me a copy of my information that you have on file. Goodness, even though, and I'm again thinking of a, a psychology scenario where a psychologist might have made a diagnosis, but potentially is, it's not the right time to share the diagnosis with a patient because it might actually be detrimental to the patient at that point in time. Okay, that is very important. So Pius says, if the information is going to be detrimental or harmful, mm -hmm. there's an obligatory counselling process that needs to be followed before you disclose that information. So that's prescribing PIA. That's again a PIA issue yeah. and it's already law. So it's got nothing to do with poppy. Practitioners might not have been aware of it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think in the past, we didn't necessarily as practitioners share our files. We would give a short report, um, but we didn't necessarily give a copy of our patient notes. But that will be changing now mm -hmm. under poppy. Patients will be using it definitely. I'm, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. Another question that came up, and it, it sort of relates to, to medical schemes and the sharing of information there. Um, let's talk ICD-10 codes again. Um, can they share it with an insurance company or administrator? Because we know there's the, the, the medical administrator then versus the medical scheme. Can they share information between them? With uh, the scheme and the insurer, can they yes. share? Um, not without consent, not without the person's consent, because there's no law that says the one can have access to the other. So there they must be consent provided by the person whose information that is. And the important thing is that consent can be withdrawn. So even if a practitioner relies on consent, a patient can always withdraw that consent. Now that might have implications for the treatment of the patient going forward, but uh, consent's not casting concrete. And, and may I just add also on the ICD-10 codes, because you may do an invoice and you may uh, actually include in your invoice, on your invoice ICD-10 codes, it doesn't mean you can give it to the medical scheme. You can give it with the patient's consent. That is very important. I'm trying to think back when I joined a medical scheme, and obviously there's a a registration form and an agreement that you need to sign and there's hundreds of little points which you should read through actually and I know a lot of people don't but I, I seem to remember that in there you give consent that some of your information may be shared. Yeah but one needs to go back actually and go and have a look to see exactly what you actually consented to because many people have been on medical schemes for many years, you know, yeah. long before it was even a consideration. So um, you would even consent that the medical scheme may obtain information about you from a healthcare practitioner, but things must be very specific. And I think medical schemes will also be revisiting their forms and the information they share with their beneficiaries to make sure that they are compliant um, mm. with both. Okay. Um, is there another question that came up, and it's something a bit different? Um, what, if any, restrictions will apply to documents or statements of accounts that a patient require to submit to SASH? 
meaning um, they, they invoices but from the payments, it's invoices, for example, or your medical scheme tax certificate at the end of the year. Um, because now you're sharing information again, but again to a different organization. Yeah, so, so it depends now who shares the information, first of all. I don't believe that is going to be in, impacted. Remember, if I want to share my information with SARS, it's my information. Um, and usually if you get your statement, let's say you get your tax statement from the medical scheme, it will tell you what did you pay out of pocket because you're going to get a tax benefit for that. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say anything about another, um, about a healthcare practitioner, for example. And medical schemes are by law obliged to give you that statement. So that will not be impacted from my perspective. Okay, all right. Um, Isma, you mentioned the regulator before. Who is this? What's their role? What's their function? What can they do? What, what can't they do? Do we even know the answer to that yet? Yes, um, we actually have a new regulator, another regulator that we have to be uh, kind of subservient, so to say. So it's called the information regulator. Mm -hmm. It is not an individual. It is like the Council for Medical Schemes, where we're talking up to an entity. So it's got a chairperson and it's got two full-time staff members and two part-time staff members. And this regulator is going to be responsible for the management and monitoring of all legislation relating to information going forward in South Africa. So this regulator has wide powers in Poppy, but they can, obviously, they can educate and they can assess whether anybody is compliant. They, there's a complaints process. Anybody can complain, so they can investigate. They've got certain statutory powers where sometimes, you know, they must look at certain processing that you do in your practice that you have to report to them that they must investigate. Uh, they are going to give us some guidance as well. I think there is a positive, positive role as well, but ultimately it's a regulator and they are going to be responsible for enforcing Poppy and Paya as of 1 or 30 June next year. So there obviously are sanctions and it remains a regula regulator. And we, as I've mentioned, if there's a security breach, we'll have to report it to the regulator. So very wide powers. But by the sound of things, some of these consequences can also be very big if, if you don't adhere to Poppy. And you, you even mentioned that there's a, a criminal aspect to it. Mm. Yeah, I think it's one shouldn't underestimate the seriousness of this piece of legislation. For certain things, there is a criminal liability potential for the head of an entity, like the head of a practice or even an information officer in certain very defined circumstances. But I think the two most important things are that this regulator can impose administrative fines for mm -hmm. transgressions up to 10 million rand. So that's quite a hefty sum. Um, I'm sure, you know, it will depend on the nature of the transgression and the nature of the entity. We don't know. We don't know how the regulator is going to do this. So that is an important thing. And then the other one that we shouldn't underestimate is that a, a data subject like a patient, Ooh. they can explain to the regulator, but they can also go to court and they can go and claim damages or harm that they suffered, but they can also be compensated a monetary amount. We call it aggravated damages, just because their privacy wasn't respected or their information 
information wasn't treated with respect and sensitivity. And on top of that, the regulator can even take that action on behalf of a patient or a data subject. So if you have, for example, a patient that's not necessarily literate or don't know how to do as the data, the regulator can go to court and claim the damages from your practice or the patient. So these, these things are quite serious. Um, other than reputational damage, we're talking about huge financial risk mm -hmm. um, to people who aren't compliant. Sure. Okay. So I suppose it's watch this space because I don't think all the information is yet available to us. They're still working on it as well. Well, most of the things um, actually are in the law. So, so the things that scare me is already there. That's in the law. Um, the guidance, the regulator has indicated that they will be issuing some guidelines. Let me give you an example. Um, I've mentioned earlier that you can't just send information outside of South Africa any longer under Poppy because there must be protection of your information. Now, yeah. if you ask me today which countries are safe, I, I actually don't know what to tell you. Um, so the regulator is going to give us some guidance on how to deal with this and which countries potentially are safe. So there's um, not a list of countries and what the things you need to adhere to if you send, for example, information to America versus Great Britain, but not yet. And to, to just give you, to tell you how, how complicated this is, in the last two, three weeks, the European Union decided that a, a law from in the United States is not sufficient to protect data from the European Union. So they said they're not happy with the security in the United States. So this are very complicated, but yeah, hopefully we'll get some guidance from the regulator. In well, that more clarity over the next mm -hmm. few months. I think that is needed, definitely. Yeah. Is there a question that came up which relates to COVID? Um, some of the regulations around that is that if a patient in, enters your practice, you need to write their name down, temperature, et cetera, et cetera. But now the next patient comes along and they write on the line just below that. Surely they can see the previous patient and the one before that's information. Yes. Is, is that within regular? Is that within the act or not? <laughs> well, you immediately are disclosing information. As I've said to you before, uh, a patient or a person's name is not necessarily protected, but it depends what you disclose with that. Now, if you put my temperature there and I'm now over 38 degrees or whatever it must be, then you are disclosing that I am potentially sick or ill. Yeah, it, it is a, it's a huge problem. And I think one will also need to be practical around this. Mm. How far do you go and how do you do this? You know, I've seen, for example, you might have seen it as well. If you come into hospitals nowadays, they, they used to have these in the wards, these big boards where they had a lot of patient information on it. So if you look at the board, you know who's in that board and you know what operation they had and who's the doctor they've actually removed it because of poppy so now you actually you know with COVID, i haven't even thought about that but clearly one needs to think about that going forward it is an issue it is an issue definitely i think another issue is the the saving and the storing of information i think a lot of healthcare practitioners are moving to digital platforms to capture you know, patient demographics, clinical notes, health outcome measures, et cetera, et cetera. How do you actually protect digital content? Can we just store it in the cloud? 
Is that safe enough? Do they need, does there need to be any backups? What would, you, what would your advice be then? Yeah, obviously I'm not an information technology specialist and, and certainly I think there are many tools available to protect information. Now, if you mention clouds, cloud storage, um, and what I know about that, there is a lot of security around clouds and information is encrypted. Mm. But another thing we forget about clouds, that clouds that we use today are not necessarily in South Africa. So we're actually sending information across the borders. So now I'm, I'm, I know I, I'm throwing a curveball here, but that's the reality. But we also know that a lot of the big companies are actually placing servers now in South Africa in South exactly Africa. this issue of, of Poppy. Yes. So I think you need to ask your IT support, you know, what is the best way to protect the data? And definitely I would think you need backups, offsite backups, um, and to ensure that information is encrypted, that yeah. anybody can access it. Um, yeah, technology is a big issue it's nowadays. Big issue. There's, I, there's I, so much happening. And I think with COVID sort of still amongst us, a lot of people are turning to other digital platforms to do consultations on, whether it is Zoom, whether it is WhatsApp, whether it is Skype, it, it doesn't matter. And you need to make 100% sure that that platform is safe, secure, and that you can actually store that information. Because if you start having a conversation with your patient, and I'm using WhatsApp, apologies, I'm focusing on one thing which I shouldn't be doing, but how do you store that information? How do you make that information or the conversation that you had with your patient part of that patient's health record? Yeah, absolutely. And just think about downloading a patient record on your smart smartphone or if you have you're sharing patient information on WhatsApp and your phone gets stolen. Yeah. What is your protection around that? Who can access that information on WhatsApp? Yeah. So so one must start thinking about these things, things that we've just taken for granted. We've just done it. Now we need to stop and think about what is happening. Mm -hmm. I know this session is not about our practice management application or the tele telehealth um, um, application Medici at all, but something I just want to highlight to the attendees is that both EasyMed, the practice management application, and Medici, the secure telehealth platform, are Poppy compliant and they are integrated as well. So that the way that these two products and systems are integrated is super secure and you know that your your practice and your patient's information is actually stored in a safe and secure way. Um, but anyway, that's not what we're discussing this afternoon. I just had to put it in there quickly. Um, you mentioned that administration staff need to sign confidentiality notes. Will that, if they signed it and they breach confidentiality, does that exempt you as practice owner and information officer? Not at all, not at all. So if there's a breach, the buck stops with the practice owner or the practice, the head of the practice or the partnership or whatever it is. But if you don't have that, you know, part of having that in place is not to only to take action against anybody, but it's also to raise the bar to increase to, so that they understand the seriousness of this, that there could potentially be huge penalties to the practitioner. Even just think about uh, uh, beyond Poppy, just think about the Health Professions Council. If you don't maintain confidentiality, there's a disciplinary process potentially at the council. So staff needs to understand that and you must be able to rely on the staff that they don't expose you to potential liability. So that's 
also that's actually the main part of that so that they are also sensitive and think about what they do with information you're talking about exposing sorry something just came to mind um, I'm a physiotherapist by training, so I treated patients for many years and very often you have to ask a patient to expose a certain area that you need to be treating. Because you're exposing a bodily area or an anatomical area, does that have anything to do with poppy? Or is that just plain and simple, tell and inform the patient that should you consent, please take your top off so that I can see your shoulder? Where, where does that come into play? Yeah, I think that's part of treatment. So obviously the patient, if he's not happy or she's not happy, they're not going to do it. If they do it, then they, they agree that you can treat them. But think, take this a little bit further. Now you're taking a photograph of that or that a video. going in that direction, yes. Yeah, it, it, that's immediately a record of personal information. And what do you do with that photograph? Where do you store it? How do you store it? Um, is the patient happy that you are taking a video or a photograph? My goodness. And where do you save it? And for how long do you store it? All these things come into play. I, th I think a lot of healthcare professionals are sitting a little bit upright and take, hopefully taking note. But Esme, this sounds like a, a, a hell of a lot of work that needs to be done. You're talking about documents. You're talking about policies. How long is it going to take a healthcare professional or an information officer to complete all of these documents and to get it in place and ready for, for first July next year? You need time. It's going to take a long time. And if you're a small practice again, so you don't have staff to spare to dedicate them to this, and um, that they can only work on Poppy, you'll have to do it in between, in between treating patients, uh, staff doing other work. So hence you can't wait till one June next year. You have to start now. To first of all, start understand exactly what are your obligations, what are data subjects rights. And again, we're not only talking patients, we're even talking employees, so that you can put the protective measures in place. Um, you know, there, there are already tools available to assist practitioners with this because, you know, legal compliance is, is a challenging area. Practitioners yeah. have been taught and trained to treat patients. So, um, but they, they, they are definitely assistance, there's definitely assistance available out there. Um, but Poppy is not a policy that you file. It's not a law that you file. Mm. I must become part of your DNA. It must be, you must do things without thinking about it and, and put the security in place and treat information with sensitivity. So you actually have to live Poppy. You know, it has to be ingrained in, in your persona and in your practice and when you're treating your patients. Yes. Goodness me. What about if healthcare practitioners are using bureaus for their invoices, their accounts, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of information that gets shared between the organizations then. Yes. So that bureau is called in Poppy an operator. And Poppy has certain requirements for these outsource arrangements, these arm's length relationships. So you have to have a written agreement in place. So it can't be a verbal agreement. Okay. And POP now has, are actually prescribing clauses that must be in that agreement. In terms, and those clauses relate to security. Security of 
um, the information, protecting of the information, and if there's a security breach, what is the obligation of the operator? Because even if that operate, if that operator breaches copy, the buck stops for the practice or the practitioner. Hence, you have to make sure you have to close that loop to ensure that you are protected if you use an outsource um, entity or person to assist you. To assist you with that. Sure. Okay. And what about, let's move back from the organization back to the patient. Let's say there's a patient with a, a serious head injury or a stroke, and they are unable to provide you as the healthcare practitioner with consent. Can consent be given by a next of kin or a family member? And what if there isn't a next of kin? So the law does allow for, some, for people to step in to provide consent on your behalf. And remember, if it's an emergency or you have to treat a patient to prevent serious illness or injury or even death, that the law allows you to do certain things. You can get information from other people or treat, you know, even today. We're not even talking about information where you can actually step in. So in emergency situations, mm. there are generally other rules and nobody will complain if you saved a life. To, if you used info or got information to save a life. Um, and as I say, there are in other legislation like the National Health Act and yeah. the Children's Options where other people can provide consent when the patient can't talk for him or herself. Okay, interesting, interesting. So emergency situations are a bit of a different story. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if a patient's life is depending on it, then you go ahead. Okay. Um, it sounds like there's a lot of work to be done around this. Are there any costs involved? Well, at the moment, um, if you do everything yourself, there's no cost. Mm -hmm. um, you, um, not even to register an information officer, there's no cost. You must just do it. So the point is, do you have the time and the expertise? If you have to buy in that expertise, there's going to be a cost, um, compliance cost, um, so to say. But the law does not prescribe a cost, no. Okay, all right. Is now just thinking, and I think it's a question that came up here. If a client used their name, and I think you did mention before that a name is not necessarily part of this data set that we need to be very careful with. If a client used their name as a reference as part of payment, would that be considered okay? Or do you think a reference number rather is a, a better form of identification there? No, you can use a name. Um, and remember, if I provide my name, I do it. I give it to you deliberately. I disclose it. But now you've got that, and, and it's not in isolation, so it's linked to other information. So now all of a sudden, you've got a, a broader picture of information. So what the practice must do is, again, protect that. Sure. But um, yeah, so in, in that sense, it is part of my personal information because you relate it to my payment, which links back to a service. So, as I, you know, they're all interrelated. Absolutely. Very interesting. Goodness me. There are so many questions still coming and I wish I could answer <laughs> all of them. I'm sort of glancing through them. Isma, do you think we, we covered the majority of things that you wanted to share with the audience today? Is there something that I missed, something that you missed? Um, maybe one thing that I think I just need to point out that um, there's, there's one, would let me put it that way, two categories of information. So if you do, for example, credit reporting, if you are reporting patients, defaulting patients to a credit bureau, 
or if you send a patient's health information to another person in, a, in another country and there's not sufficient protection of the data, you have to pre-authorize that. And I pre-authorize is a term that we all know very well, but you have to pre-authorize this at the information regulator. And if you don't do it, it's an offense which has a criminal sanction. So just to put everybody's minds at ease, if you do these things today and in the next year, you are going to send that pre-authorize, or you are going to request pre-authorization from the information regulator, but you can carry on doing that until the regulator says, stop, you can't do it anymore, okay. or you must put this process in place. Mm -hmm. Once that in future, there will be a date after which you can't do anything of that until you've got the pre-authorization. But let me also give a little bit of uh, additional good news on this is that if you apply for pre-authorization and the regulator does not respond, oh. there's a period that needs to lapse. If that period has lapsed and you haven't heard anything, you can actually assume a positive response and go on. But I think it's, it's exceptionally important if you do these things that one is aware of it and know that it needs sure. to be prioritized. Excellent. A last question from me. What will happen if a practice does not comply by 30 June next year? Well, they are then at huge risk. First of all, I think what will happen first is a patient might complain before the regulator get involved because a regulator can you know, do random assessments. Um, yeah. It's unlikely because there's just too much to do. But your risk is that a patient may complain about the way you handle their information, complain at the regulator, and then there will be an investigation with a potential penalty at the end. Or the, or the patient can say, you've abused my information and go to court and try and claim damages. And we are going to have opportunistic patients with unscrupulous legal support was going to try and make some money. So I think one must be actually very careful and not think that the regulator is going to be overburdened, nothing will happen. Mm. And patients are very aware of their rights. And I think it goes beyond just being a patient. And we all end up being patients every now and again. And I think we just all need to take this act very seriously and really try and apply our minds into getting it into our practices, into our daily lives, into our businesses and organizations. Yeah, absolutely. Isma, I'm going to have to call time out here. There's two minutes to five. Um, as usual, the hour just went by so, so quickly. Thank you once again for, for sharing your knowledge with us. It's been incredible, um, valuable conversation. Uh, a quick question. If some people do have questions for you, if they want to make use of your services, and obviously it does come at a price, can they contact you? Is, is there some advice documents that you can share with them? Lovely, yes, they are very welcome. Um, I have tried to come up with some tools. I call it my toolkit that I've developed for practices for them to comply. So, um, you know, if they are interested, then obviously we can talk about that. So where I've compiled documents and consent clauses and all kinds of things to help practitioners through this whole process to decompile. Thank you for that, and they are welcome to contact me. Thank you. So attendees, Esme's um, details are on the screen in front of you. I did put it in the chat functionality as well. You can reach her via email, esme at healthcarenavigator.co.za, 
or go to her website. All the contact details are there as well. If you want to make use of any of her services, please feel free to do that. So just quickly, thanks again to Spacenet for sponsoring this afternoon. We really appreciate that. It is accredited for one ethics CEU point, so you should have your certificate with you early next week, I presume. Um, and I know we didn't talk about Medici or EasyMed at all. Just a reminder that it is still free for you to use. If you can use it in your practices, it will help you, your practices, or your patients. And a reminder that both these awesome products are poppy compliant. So you use it. it it's absolutely there for you, and it is for free until the end of August. Um, next week, the 20th of August, Thursday, 4 o'clock, we've got our next webinar. And you would remember from last week, we discussed ethical diagnosis coding. And I'm pleased to say that we're going to continue that conversation just because there were so many questions that we still haven't answered. And there's still a lot of ethical tips that we want to share with the audience. So please join us again. It will be myself. It will be Erna and Yulandi again, same crowd that was with you last week. And you can register for the webinar on our website, easymet.solutions. Just navigate to the webinar tab. Um, Ismay, we've got literally 30 seconds, maybe a closing remark from you, from your side, please. Yeah, thank you from my side and just also a little bit of encouragement. I know this is daunting if you have to comply, but there is assistance available and other than that is that there is time. So if you start getting into it slowly, it is possible to comply and just remember that's how you want your information to be dealt. Wonderful, thank you so much. Attendees, I think I need to let you go because you've got quite a few things to do and to get into place before next year. <laughs> um, but as, as always, it's been a pleasure hosting you this afternoon. Thank you so much for attending. We really hope to see you again next week, Thursday at four o'clock. Take care of yourself, take care of your loved ones, your family, and take care of your patients. See you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>